0: The domestic season may be over, but we still have the Champions League and Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or any-time goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with bet 365 Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think
1: And tame and tame again. Crank up the
0: music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! What do Italians call the Tetsino Sinistro? Who was the most out-of-position footballer of all time? What actually is end product? And can bagsman ever be an acceptable word for a striker? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Cliches. Access to The Athletic is currently free for 30 days. Go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. With me for a little gentle skip through the traditional format of a football team. First of all, Charlie Eccleshare. He's back. Thank God.
2: Well, it's great to be back. Yeah, been a few weeks off on paternity leave, but yeah, here I am. I'm back and it's it's, it's great to be here
0: back to your real baby that is the football cliches podcast um i'd like to share with you a recent review from one of our listeners he says love this podcast adam and charlie are a podcasting york and cole <laughs> i feel like i'm glad i'm glad that they got that that way around so i'm the best dressed man of 1999 and it turns out that you need five takes to to uh, to get the uh, every line right which is um
2: <laughs> very good yeah
0: yeah very good but yeah also returning nick miller uh, the up and coming star of the Football Clichés podcast. Welcome back.
1: You've saved yourself there. I, I was briefly quite hurt. I didn't get a thank God as well, but up and coming star. <laughs> I'll take that.
0: No, you'll take it for granted. Given the theme of today's podcast, if a friend of yours was, was bringing you along as a ringer to Fiverside, Side, how would they describe you position wise?
1: Uh, probably a wobbly bellied Libero, maybe. Um, <laughs> also, not quite as bad as he looks. Uh, that, might, that might be. <laughs> Uh, that's probably the best description, I think.
0: Part one of this episode, which is the adjudication panel, as always. Watching Wolves versus Severe in the Europa League on BT Sport, uh, Robbie Savage uttered the immortal commentary line, for any youngsters watching, and then he went on to describe a piece of footballing passage of play that was rather textbook. And it, I feel like there are only a certain set of circumstances that for any youngsters watching can be applied to, Charlie. Any suggestions?
2: Tracking back. Um, yeah. You, you know, he he, he might be... He's one of the best players on the team, and he's still willing to put in, you know, the hard yard, hard yards, hard graft. And for any children watching, that's an example to follow.
0: On my shortlist for this is downward headers for strikers, like getting your he- getting your heading your heading the ball down into the ground and up again. That's that's one for uh, any youngsters watching. Also, getting your knee above the ball when you're volleying it. It's just nice to think that they're still thinking about aspiring youngsters at home, Nick, watching football and and, and dishing out the advice.
1: Yes, strikers following in a, a, another shot. That's oh, yeah. That's another mm. one. Uh,
0: not standing and admiring a 40-yard pass.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Which is what yeah. I
0: would definitely do. I don't care about the advice. Any, any pinged 40-yard pass from me is going to get a good stand and admire, <laughs> frankly. Perhaps we're a few days late with this one, but pictures have emerged, as pictures always tend to do in these situations, of Matt Hancock playing football like a twat. <laughs> in my head... Charlie this is how every mp plays football <laughs> just incredibly <laughs> ungainly uh, not massively up for it uh, a little bit f- fragile and quite clearly wearing boots that had been bought for them by a by an underling about half an hour previously
2: my mind always goes back to the uh, the tony blair kevin keegan ones where they're doing kind of headed <laughs> keepy uppies and that was you know top you quality. I, I guess, yeah, it's decent. And I guess with each one, Blair's just thinking my credit with each header, his credibility mm. is going is going up. I mean, that whole, yeah, politicians, football, David Cameron, rather you it, West Ham. I mean, it's a it's an uneasy relationship, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I guess because we think of them as so kind of nerdy. And I, mm. I always think when you see, you know, when you see politicians, you'll see a prime minister returning to number 10 and they put their arm around their wife and they do it in the most Awkward way. It's so <laughs> strange. It just looks so unnatural, and and that same with the way they play football. It's just like
0: before kickoff style pose. <laughs> yeah,
2: it just it just doesn't quite work. And I I think football uh, there's something uh, similar as well. Maybe it's just a stereotype thing, but yes, he does not look at all natural.
0: An extension of this. Nick, is um, politicians using football metaphors, which they think might be quite well-received when they're actually not. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon, I believe, um, threatened to bring a halt to the Scottish season, and she said that the few kind of positive coronavirus tests uh, amongst the Scottish premiership represented a yellow card, and she wouldn't hesitate to bring out the red. We may have covered this on this podcast before, but are you in agreement that just all football analogies should be banned at Parliament?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. It only sounds convincing. We're coming from Labour politicians for some reason. Any Tory... (laughs) There is nothing that, that that's clearly, again, been written down for them by an aide uh, 20 oh, minutes before PMQs. A blanket ban it obviously solves the problem, but if you're going to be more specific about it, a, bl- a ban on all Tory politicians mentioning football at all times.
0: Yeah, agreed. I agreed. Mean, it's always red cards, and it's always own goals, and I, I can't think of any other circumstances that they delve into football.
2: You might get a kind of game of two halves. I mean, we're talking really oh, yeah. kind of old-school. I cliche. would defend
0: that, because to me that that is a football cliche that we have allowed to fly the nest the fly the footballing nest we don't use it ourselves anymore we're, we're happy for the rest of the world to use it in any other context so game of two halves i feel like we have we have disowned a little bit because it's just beyond <laughs> cliche. it's our gift yeah exactly but enough of matt hancock's football nightmares and on to the uh the real crux of today's episode which is the the football clichés 11 now i i wrote the i, I wrote the title for this down as the football clichés xi and it just it reminded me that every time i see that i read it as x1 and i just can't i can't <laughs> see it as any other way it's just, so apologies to the romans because i just can't read your numerals in any other way than my incorrect way we're going to have a little trek through um what i consider to be the traditional football team this kind of kind of timeless set of positions and the idiosyncrasies that come with each one some administrative things you two are a seasoned journalist you've been to matches you've presumably listed a few teams in your time let's get down to the nuts and bolts of how you should list a team <laughs> Charlie, are you happy going right to left when it comes to like the defence, for example? Do you go right back, centre back, centre back, left back? How does it work?
2: Yes, I do, and I have actually agonised before over which who is the right centre back and who's the left centre back, uh, in mm. fear that that's the, exactly the kind of thing that someone on Twitter would point out. I'd be like, "Oh, you think he plays as the left centre back?" <laughs> so I've probably spent more time on that than I should have done. But yeah, always right to left.
0: I like your. I like your. Um... Twitter um, indignant <laughs> voice, that's quite it, good. It feels counterintuitive, Nick, to go right to left, doesn't it? When you should say left to right. I don't know. I mean, our right backs just consider... Maybe it's because they wear number two. That's how numbers work. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yep. Uh, we, as we've already established, I struggle with the traditional numbers. Um, into, into the real kind of advanced level stuff, though, Nick, are you a sort of semicolon man between goalkeeper, defence, midfield and attack? Because I feel that separates the the Team News men from the Team News boys, traditionally. But would you also agree that it's probably got quite... It's got a lot more complicated to do that because where do defences in midfields end these days?
1: Well, I mean, you know, you have to provide some kind of demarcation and most importantly, you have to encourage people to, to do this just so... I can pass off this very small nugget of information as some kind of opinion of my own. So if you see <laughs> a a team laid out in the correct way with the defenders semicolon midfielders semicolon number 10 semicolon striker, you can sort of almost convincingly say about a player, yeah, he's a midfielder, but I think he's been playing on the right wing a lot quite a lot this season. <laughs> so uh, for people who know more about football and know more about specific teams, I must insist that they, they carry on doing that just so I can do that.
0: Charlie, little linguistic uh, thing to decide before we get into um, the nuts and bolts. What positions do you think you can be by trade? Is a centre-back by trade? Centre-back <laughs> by back I mean, trade, I'd say. Is the, can you be anything else by yeah, Can You can't be um, a striker by trade, can you? Not striker by trade. <laughs> striker by Weird. trade. I don't know. Maybe the words imply kind of sort of manual labour a little mm. bit, which is more centre backs work. Strikers an art form, isn't it? So
1: by trade is all is always used in the context of he's a centre back by trade, but he's playing in midfield today, and it's yeah. always but but and it's always a kind of relatively minor positional change. So it, 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 you, you never you very rarely hear he's a right back by trade, but he's playing up front today. That kind of thing.
0: <laughs> As a sort of distant cousin of that. If a manager or a team are going into a fixture um, and they're down to the bare bones, you might, you might hear someone say, well, they're going into this without a single recognised striker. Mm. As, as if it's a, a thing that you have to earn qualifications for and get a licence and, and uh, you have to go without. Now, we've already done an episode on goalkeepers, so we, perhaps we shouldn't dwell on it too much. But one question we did have from listener Gabriel Mayard, he said, at what point did defenders become stoppers as well as keepers? Now, we need to lay down the law here. Goalkeepers are not stoppers. Goalkeepers have never been stoppers.
1: But surely they should be. No, the the, the word makes more sense because they—that's what they do. They stop.
0: But it, it's, it's defenders, isn't it? It's a defenders are stopper.
1: But there's a particular kind. Surely it's a particular kind of defender. Like Rio Ferdinand wasn't a stopper. The, you know you you John Terry's <laughs> are your stoppers surely
0: oh yeah yeah totally just yeah whose primary purpose is to get in the way whereas goalkeepers that's written that that's implied that's their job is to get in the way so I just call it I mean they need more words as, as we've established many times on this on this podcast goalkeepers need other terms than simply <laughs> uh keepers and goalkeepers because custodian just doesn't cut it so I sympathize with Gabriel because um stoppers seems like it's it is a natural term, but I, I you know tradition dictates here, and it's defenders only On to fullbacks though, I fear is the most uncomfortable position in, in, regardless of of how sexy in a relative sense fullbacks have become in recent years, I still feel like it is the most pain pain in the ass job on any given football team, Nick. First of all, they're most likely to be given a torrid time. Mm. I also feel like they have the most mundane annoying little jobs in in, in, a, in an elite football team. They've got to do all the throw-ins, they've got to do all the shepherding. They've got to defend a cross at the back post under pressure, which looks like not only the hardest thing to do in football, but just the most fraught with danger and potential for calamity. It's when that sort of cross is whipped into the back post and they've got to steer it on its way, knowing full well there's someone behind them trying to score. That looks awful. They've got to guard the post at corners, which looks boring. Uh, especially when they don't do it properly and they just lean against the post, they've got a, a real painful job, haven't they?
1: They're also most likely to get get the kind of full force of any irate manager on the touchline. Um, oh, they're yeah. also when they're also kind of the most likely to get into some kind of altercation with a sort of an aggressive opposition bench when they're you know say if they're <laughs> trying to kind of run down the time and waste time a little bit over the you know some uppity coach is going to come and sort of try and grab the ball out of his hand or you know rush him along or something like that and also in modern football there are kind of expected everyone will now expect every fullback to be and Andy Robertson or Trent Alexander-Arnold mm-hmm. sort yeah, of exactly. nominally nominally fullbacks but also wingers and
2: you know that's just too much pressure to put on anyone surely. One thing I would say though I think like play, playing now as a fullback I okay, very occasionally I'll do it and I, I, I do know something quite fun about the fact that you have like defensively, no, it's not. But attacking, you get so much space on the ball, which is really nice. And also if you make kind of incursions forward, it's almost seen as a bonus and you don't really have to do a lot. You might, you know, get forward and have a blocked cross and it's like, good work. Whereas if you're a winger, it's kind of like, great. You just put in a cross that's been blocked. So I do think it does have some perks. I do like that element. That you can uh, you do get ages on the ball compared to playing out wide where you're just getting like, you're kicked whenever you get it
0: even allowing for the fact that traditionally they're, they're seen as a fairly unsophisticated position, even allowing for their kind of recent resurgence. There is some hope. In Italian, a left-back is known as Tetzino Sinistro, which is incredibly cool. That's probably among the coolest continental names for a position I've heard. I mean, Nick, I'm sure you're fully familiar with your your trequartistas and your enganches, but uh, how do you feel about Tetzino sinistro? Does um, do you think of Stuart Pierce as one of those?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, definitely, uh, absolutely. Like I mean, that? I don't. It's a. Uh, I, I don't even. I'm not. I was about to ask what the sort of literal translation of that is, but I, I don't think I want to know. It's just. It just sounds so wonderful, and you know, if I do play football uh, again that requires any kind of actual positioning, I'm definitely going to call myself that. Without yeah, Sinistro
0: just means left.
1: Oh, okay. Um, well, you hmm. just ruined That's it. That's where again.
0: sinister comes from because people don't trust left handed people. Oh. Simple there you as go. that. Yeah. The position of full-backs is sometimes done a sort of subtle disservice. When I think of um Charlie, when I think of a sort of a, a towering young right back who's sort of making his way in the game and he, he gets shoved up to right back just to just so he can sort of, you know, learn learn the ropes. But then he'll never to be be interviewed and he says, Well yeah, I see my future at centre half really. So it's like, All oh, right, <laughs> so oh yeah, so, oh, yeah, so Fullback doesn't do it for you. That was the Carragher
2: thing, wasn't it? Of no one growing up uh, wanting to be a Gary Neville, but they're all <laughs> kind of, they either saw themselves as wingers or centre back.
0: Your job prospects at, at centre half are presumably, uh, or at least traditionally, markedly increased if you if you can excel in the middle of a defence rather than at fullback, or at least as a functional fullback. So I, I get why, you know, those kind of Pulis style. Fullbacks, Nick, aren't considered really to be uh, the the most sophisticated side of football. It Feels a bit weird that it's kind of, as you said,
1: towering young right backs to see themselves as centre backs, but it's also kind of half seen as a bit of a sort of trading wheels position, like you know, yeah. some kid that you, you you stick them at fullback to while well, they learn the ropes before they go back to I don't know. The real man's job of being a centre back—it just seems a bit sort of patronising to to actual fullbacks. You we will yeah, just we'll just any anyone can do this. We'll just stick him here as work experience for a little for a couple, few games.
0: And I feel like fullback is definitely where you you know in an emergency that's where you'll see an eighteen-year-old just stuck in and just hope that he he swims rather than sinks. Fullback area is kind of where utility men come into their own. I mean utility men by definition are the implications that they can do a job anywhere but it is usually at fullback where they're stuck you know like Milner kind of half grudgingly stuck at left back and doing a job for Liverpool after years of where he started out as a striker then moved to the wing and, and then became a kind of box-to-box midfielder and then ended up at, at left back um, and didn't really want to. This is the, the breeding ground for utility men once you've, once you've earned your full-back badges as, as Hey Dougie might put it. Johnny Sharples, friend of the show says the most truly versatile players of all time are Nicholas Alexanderson, Paul Warhurst and Luis Enrique. Uh, I sent some championship manager influence mm. coming in here. Is there a real appeal to being a DMR, DMA RLC? Is, is that the holy grail of versatility?
1: It just seems like it, there's a kind of implication that while you are, you know, if you can play in all these positions, you are obviously a kind of well-rounded athlete and, um, you know, a, a footballer of multiple skills. But there's also an implication of, well, I mean, he's not really good enough to be a specialist in this position. So we'll just kind of have him around to fill in where uh, where we need to, even though, you know, even though that's quite unfair. So, mm. I don't know, it's just... Uh, and it, it, always, the, the, uh, your utility man very rarely actually stays in the team for very long. He's just kind of there to to fill in.
0: You hear stories about players who sort of played in every single position for their club during the course of one chaotic season, and it, and uh, various listeners got in hmm. touch to point us towards the story of Steve Palmer at Watford, who took this to to absurd lengths. This was uh, uh, in the in the old Division Two in 97-98 where this is before squad numbers came in. And it got to the end of the season and he'd worn every shirt number huh. from 2 to 14. So the final home game of the season, he started off in goal <laughs> with uh, regular goalkeeper Alec Gamerlin playing outfield. They took kickoff, hoofed the ball straight out of play, and then he went and swapped shirts with the goalkeeper. That is the sort of kind of amateur completism that you just wouldn't get in the 21st century. Credit That's to Watford and everybody involved in that numerical completism.
2: God, can you imagine now the kind of navel-gazing that that would prompt? I mean, like the columns and counter-columns of... How would people uh, react if, kind
0: of- if someone did that now? I mean, it would, would it be a sort of similar reaction to John Terry being substituted in the 26th minute? Or would it just be considered a little bit of fun?
2: I don't know. I think there'd be a backlash and a counter-backlash. Whether the initial direction of travel would be this is great or this is terrible. But yeah, there would be extreme opinions either way.
1: There would also be ref- made reference to um, the prize money from each... Uh, uh, well, if someone mm. if if there was no, nothing on the game, there yeah. someone who really reaching and really trying to get yeah, irritated yeah, by yeah. this would mention the different prize money. That's I mean, that, it, it's another two million pounds for that could be really valuable to a club in this day and age.
2: As an extension of that, Nick, the fact that there there could be jobs at stake. You know, it's not just about the players. It's you know that money is very important to the club for a number of reasons. So yeah, God, I'm mm. annoying myself just
0: talking about. It. <laughs> Finally, for this utility men uh, section, Grundy says Dion Dublin for the most versatile player. Um, a striker, a midfielder, I don't remember him being a midfielder, defender, and homes under the hammer presenter.
2: You've got stairs going up to your bedrooms. On my right hand side, you've got the
0: stairs going up to the bedrooms. There's your stairs straight in front of you going to the bedroom. Stairs just there going up to the bedrooms. And we should add, <laughs> musical instrument inventor because he brought the dube into the world, which we're all familiar with. The dube has four playable faces. As you can hear, they all have different tones. So you get four different tones from the cube itself. Dion Dublin, uh, would you count basically being a proficient centre forward and centre half as being versatile? Or is it just, well, he's tall, he can head, we'll stick him back there and it'll do he'll do a job. Is that pure versatility, Charlie? Would you would you consider that to be acceptable?
2: There was there was him and Chris Sutton, weren't there? They were the kind yeah. of Again, I don't um,
0: remember Sutton playing at centre half. Was that he did? He, he played there in his youth, right, rather than when he was old. No, I think he did from time to time,
2: but I mean, I don't know if he would be like starting games there. It might be more of just kind of he moved there, moved there later on. I mean, I saw cause I saw someone saying I think it was a discussion on Twitter about you know is there a player could could you win a game? Could you be successful with just a team of? One player, and someone said Rude yes. Hulit as a suggestion, and then but my mind went to well, you know, Dion Dublin or Chris Sutton. You know, just a, a team of Dion Dublin's would be would be very entertaining to watch. Gary Doherty, yeah, Gary Doherty, yeah.
0: He's a kind of slight outlier here because he he wasn't someone who excelled at one position, then was thought to have be able to do a job in another one. He was just genuinely accepted to be rubbish at both, which is quite a quite a feat, isn't it? I mean not rubbish, but sort of fondly remembered, shall we put shall we express it as. I don't I don't know how else to describe it.
1: There's sort of an implication where you go, well, okay, we'll play him at centre back today and then he plays a couple of games and he's no good and it goes, Well, uh, this guess try him up front and then <laughs> uh, then he's no good up there as well. So you kind of then you forget that he's no good at centre back either. So OK, we'll try him at centre-back as well.
0: There was one moment where he was playing centre-half for Spurs. Um, it was live on Sky, and um, he reduced Andy Gray mean... to, a, to a state of complete disbelief. I can't remember the exact words, but it was essentially, what are you doing?
2: Yeah, what what's is he, he doing? doing?
0: What is he doing now? It and, was, um, I
2: think, a 4-all against Leicester.
0: <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Everyone has drawn 4-all with Leicester at some point. And, uh, yeah, it, it just reduced greater this kind of befuddled mess of apoplexy it was it was absolutely brilliant leicester are responsible for a fair chunk of center back stroke center forwards steve walsh matt elliott ian marshall they, i think any anytime <laughs> between 94 and 98 half their team yeah half their team were, were were center backs who could play up front if needed or center forwards who uh, could be drafted in as an emergency Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash cliches and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of The Athletic Podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash cliches to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, Football Clichés listeners get two extra free beers. Nick, this debate about strikers playing at centre-half or the other way around, uh, it leads me inevitably to speculate about what it would be like if Ronaldo, who, towards the end, I mean, it it looks like he's never going to sort of, Pack it in at any stage because he just loves it too much. But um, what would he be like as a centre back?
1: He would be the guy that sort of, without much sort of, basic knowledge, would be telling everyone else what to do. he <laughs> kind of, is but he? He doesn't really know how to be a defender, but he tell everyone else how to be a defender. It's like it's like he's kind of defender splaining to you know <laughs> some some other much more experienced and sort of skillful defenders. But you know, it doesn't matter how it doesn't matter how long that Leonard Bonucci has been. Playing at centre back, hmm. Ronaldo would go back there and stop ordering him around. Well, he well, wouldn't. He wouldn't actually be. I don't think he'd be actually any good as a defender himself. But um,
2: you know, just shout well, at people.
0: Because on a semi-serious note, Charlie, he'll he'll know what good defending looks like, wouldn't he?
2: That's like that thing of like when strikers put in good crosses, and they're like that. He <laughs> no, he puts an exactly the kind of cross he'd want to get on the end of. Um, to be honest, he probably, he probably would be quite good. I mean, he's so athletic and good in the air. Uh, And and you're right. Like he, he is so seemingly. You can't imagine him ever really retiring or wanting to retire. So maybe that will be a a late career move. It would be interesting to see. It's not.
0: It's not necessarily the defending side. I can't picture him doing. I can picture him heading away across. I can picture him sort of keeping up with a strike and sort of nicking it away. It, I, what I can't imagine doing is sort of just, just um, casually um, rolling the ball around at the back to, to start an attack because he, he seems a bit too fast twitch for that. I just can't see him sort of just looking up and just pinging a ball out to the wing. It, it just it seems like utterly unadventurous for him, but uh, but it's an image nonetheless. I can't really see him giving up the sort of chance
1: for glory either. Everything in his career seems to be kind of geared towards, you know, everyone looking at him and saying how wonderful he is, which obviously is... Mostly in scoring goals or winning Ballon d'oors or just kind of taking his top off at every possible opportunity. And if he's got to play in defence, then the you know the opportunity for glorious moments and to do that stupid celebration of his, his uh, <laughs> is, is, is
2: inevitably is going to be kind of uh, reduced. It's tougher to do that after like a good off playing an offside or something like that, isn't it? Like, <laughs> oh you, know, yeah. you catch a striker offside and you rip your shirt off. Though maybe, <laughs> though maybe he could evolve into like a sort of Sergio Ramos who seems to get a huge amount of glory.
0: They're not dissimilar in in uh, in disposition. I let's face it. So I, I I can see it happening. And you know he, he might as well test himself. Uh, some other listener contributions to out of position players. This reaches quite the crescendo. So brace yourself. Um, first of all, Ethan Henson eases the in with Kevin Davis playing at left back. Now he hasn't specified the game here. He's just forcing us to uh, to visualise this ourselves. Uh, but he looks like he sounds to me Nick like the clumsiest possible left back imaginable.
1: Yeah, hang on. Is, is he saying this as a sort of theoretical thing or is he suggesting this No, no, this, 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 actu- this
0: appears to have actually happened. Oh. I don't know when it could have been. But, oh. uh, but it sounds like something he would dutifully have done. I'm, I'm guessing Bolton.
2: Could this just be someone wrote the team sheet out in kind of left-to-right <laughs> thing and we, we've just gone with it, taken it hook, line and sinker?
1: He's one of the least... I mean, he, he's one of the sort of least... Of, Potentially versatile players I can think of really. It all all he does is you know in my head anyway is stand next to another tall striker and score mm. loads and loads of goals. Um, I can't I can't possibly think he would be any good as a left back.
0: Also physiologically, he's basically the opposite of what you want from a left back. Uh, I want my I want my fullbacks to be like those toys you can't push over, like incredibly <laughs> bottom heavy, like incredible low sense of gravity, but also being incredibly hard at the same time. Uh, whereas he is, he's all chest. Like, I've never seen him not described as barrel chested. So he would, he would just topple over. Ajay Bakter fondly recalls Dimitar Berbatov at centre back for United. Um, what? Really? Yeah, he, 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 he. He definitely didn't. He didn't In start, a three there, but he or played. A two. I can't remember. Well, I'm really tactical, you splitting but, hairs
1: here, Charlie. But <laughs> yeah. It's not like
0: he didn't. This wasn't just for like the last few minutes of the game. I'm pretty sure that he played a good chunk of a game at centre half for United. I mean, if we'd done our research and it wasn't so goddamn hot, I would have. I would have spent time looking into this. But uh, it, it's still quite the image. But again, I, I can. I can kind of see it. I can. And I, I don't know. He's got a kind of a Gary Breen quality to him. Does he sort of languid? <laughs> I don't know. Can you be an insouciant centre
1: back? It feels like he is. he's be too, kind of. I don't know. Too concerned with flicks and tricks and so on to do an you know, effective job marking a striker out of a game.
0: I've got the details for you. It was, it was against Leeds in two thousand oh. and uh, eleven, Ferg- and uh, Alex Ferguson had made all three substitutions, and then um, young Zeki Fryers went off with cramp, and Berbatov um it was only for the final 10 minutes i'm devastated to say great post-match quote from michael owen here he says berber can play there said michael owen he does it occasionally in training it was no surprise when he put his hand up and said he would do it (laughs) does it occasionally in training uh it's not quite sort of yeah he he does things in training you just couldn't believe plays at center half (laughs) Jake says the most out of position player I've ever seen was Newcastle versus Bournemouth when DeAndre Yedlin went down injured. So Andy Carroll decided to play right wing back for five minutes. (laughs) Charlie, now now we're into real, real fantasy territory, aren't we? Can you on the right as well? Yeah, exactly. Just to
2: ram that home. I mean, surely whoever was playing left wing back would have had a better right foot and could have switched over (laughs) to give Carroll... Or maybe not if it was Richie. I mean, I think Richie is quite left-footed as well. But um, yeah, that that's an incredible image.
0: Does it tick a single Andy Carroll box? Right wing back, Nick.
1: No, I, I I like the kind of phrasing of that as well. He he decided to play right wing back like it was there was n- no input from the manager at all. It's just <laughs> the right wing back went off. So Carroll just said, "Yeah, I'm, I'll I'll do that. I'm doing that."
0: Like a horse on a bike. Nick, I'm. I'm going to float this this concept of, of the Virgil van Dyke effect, uh, which which has kind of two main pillars. First of all, I'm concerned that we we only really rate good looking centre-halves these days. <laughs> I feel like that's part of the package. You, you, you've got, you know, not only do you have to be good at defending and, and sturdy and physically imposing, but you have to be quite good looking as well. I feel like that's, you know, it, it, it's a glamour position now It's is is the point I'm essentially making. And secondly, His move to Liverpool, and I'm sure it was more complex than this, but has been held up as, as this example of you just need to sign one commanding centre-half and your de- your entire defence will be sorted when really that flies in the face of all logic. So now all these all these other clubs like, say, Frank Lampard's Chelsea, who are a mess in defence, the, this supposed kind of solution is just, you just need to sign one massive guy to play in the middle of your <laughs> defence and everything will be fine. Is this problematic? Is, is, this, is this doing the art of defending a disservice generally?
1: Yeah, and it's also going to sort of, it's, it's going to have Chances of sporting directors all over the world just immediately double the price of their best centre back. Wow, you can. Know, he, the Virgil van Dyke effect, he could be the man, he could be very much the missing piece in your jigsaw. So, I'll take uh, 70 million pounds for him, please.
0: I just, I just think ungainly and you know, and I use, I use this term advisedly, g- ugly defenders just aren't going to get the same chances anymore, despite being, you know, despite having most of the tools of the trade getting in the way, being sort of. Keyone style rash defenders, and uh, I just feel like they're not quite in vogue anymore. Charlie, it worries me. Along the lines of Diego Godín, who I mean, whilst he was perfectly at home at Atletico and obviously played in Champions League finals and, and whatnot, I felt like he was never regarded on an individual basis as as a superstar defender, uh, despite having right. all all the all the potential things you could possibly want. Maybe he wasn't tall enough, but he he doesn't come across as glamorous enough to be you know your, your fifty million pound centre half.
2: Right, he's a bit grizzled.
0: Yeah, maybe that's what it is. He's just too rough around the edges. You want someone who's a bit more, I don't know, I don't know, marketable. Because that, that's never been an issue for centre-halves in the past. That's always been an issue for wingers and strikers. But it feels like only now you need marketable centre-halves.
2: Maybe that's like the Cannavaro effect. I mean, so he, for me, kind of put that position, you know, he really changed how that position was looked at, didn't he? And, and he brought mm. that glamour uh, to it. He made, he made it quite sexy.
0: I also feel like, Nick, that the, um, the, the thrill that, you know, the vicarious thrill you get from seeing an incredible tackle has, has kind of faded a little bit. Um, the, the emphasis now is, is staying on your feet. I, I, rem- I remember this stat, which I'm definitely paraphrasing here, which is Rio Ferdinand not, comm- not considering a single foul in the Premier League for about nine years. And that, that being held up as something quite useful for a centre-half, which I suppose it is. But do you miss tackling? Do you miss thunderous, you know, welcome to the Premier League style challenges? Well, I mean, as someone who
1: uh, grew up watching Stuart Pearce, I absolutely mm. do, um, and it's this kind of whole thing about well, just because you get the ball doesn't mean it's not a foul these days, and mm. you know, uh, I'm, I'm still kind of just about of the generation where if you got the if you got a, a kind of shoelace on the ball, then you know you were fine. That wasn't you could get a shoelace <laughs> on the ball, completely take out the other guy's knee, and it was still okay. But Paolo Maldini kind of ruins this for everyone, really, with that. Was it was it him who's the, that famous quote about if I have to make a tackle, I've already made a mistake, which is, I mean, obviously complete bollocks. But it also get, sort of perpetuates this idea of um, you know a, a, a defender who has to dive into the to tackle. It's easy to just say he's rubbish
0: because of this thing Maldini once said Charlie my favourite piece of um, centre-back body language and it's, it's not it's something I just never quite understand is uh, in the process of fouling a striker in the box they sort of even before the decision has been made they already sus- they already can already sense the suspicion of a foul so out come the hand saying I'm not fouling him <laughs> I'm not fouling him as they bundle him over um, it's, it's such a weird thing and, and it feels like it's learned behaviour it feels like f- things that footballers do but it, in, in this particular example it doesn't help them in the slightest it makes them look more guilty pick it apart hmm. for me because I find it very odd you mean
2: so they've got the wrong side and they're kind yeah. of getting up a bit like that Aspera, Quetta, Aubameyang one so they're kind of w- pushing and then alternately putting their hands up as if to say I'm not doing anything I'm not doing yeah, anything it's like a
0: pre-appeal so I'm not doing this but I am and, I, and, I can and I kind of really see odd. the
2: logic in that often players get away with with fouls that would be elsewhere because there's, ne- there's not like one single moment where they commit a foul. There's just kind of low level sort of foul, you know, getting too close. So they, I, I think maybe they're trying to do that in the hope that they won't really, it, there won't be enough there uh, on an individual level to give a penalty. So it's just trying to make themselves yeah look less guilty but yeah i mean often often it is it's not fooling anyone
0: um the other piece of centre-back body language which i find much more satisfying to watch nick is um when a when a striker has been um deemed to have dived in the box under their under their kind of stewardship and then they kind of sort of go over to them and lean right into their face as the as as the strikers on the ground sort of really give them what for and that looks incredibly satisfying to do
1: yeah, it's the the whole. It's the sort of uh, how dare you traduce the gentleman's spirit of this game <laughs> by by you know trying to trick the referee into and you know it, the, the, I imagine it's even more satisfying when you when the defender knows full well he's fouled the guy but uh, has got away with it so he can then you know go. It, 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 I I don't know why that would be more, more satisfying, but it feels like it would that you kind of. Who do you have you, in your head when you when you picture this being uh, this happening? Um, I have well, Tony Adams. Yeah, Tony Adams. Uh, it's uh, this is probably quite unfair because he seems like a nice guy, but David Luiz I've got in my head. I don't know why oh, he right. sprang into my my mind. Maybe it's because all that hair makes it a little bit more dramatic. But mm. um, you know, he he seems to be the one that you would. Or or maybe like a kind of proper football defender,
0: like, you know, Gary
1: Cahill or John Terry or someone like
0: that. Definitely. Definitely. I agree with that. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our Athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the Tifo podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. Defensive midfielders, which um, I'm going to call this the Pap Booba Diop effect, which was there seemed to be an explosion in the mid-2000s, of uh, an obsession with signing someone absolutely massive to just play in front of your defence and make everyone feel safe. Without really any sort of proper footballing logic behind it, it was just a purely physical thing. Um, is, is that... Is that a fair observation? It it seemed like it it was a fad that took over. It was that
2: slight Mourinho thing, wasn't it? Because he came in and with Makaleli and they started playing, you know, everyone started playing with only one striker, which meant an additional midfielder. So you went from having had two central midfielders where the the idea was they could both do a bit of everything, whereas Mm. suddenly you had teams playing with an extra central midfielder and you had this specialised DM role, which obviously Chelsea with Makaleli, but it, it felt like the, the sort of the shortcut to that was having this sort of destroyer enforcer character who, as you say, Diop w- was very much like that.
0: The Makaleli role is, is is a much more complex concept than some give, give, give credit for him. And he wasn't even that big for a start. But it was just this idea that you can just get any lump, even maybe one of your centre backs and stick him, stick him in front of the fence and, and that will help. It kept Andy Gray busy because I, I remember just a whole sort of half decade of him just wiggling a little um, circle around the screen saying, he'll just sit, he'll just sit there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was it and that was just five years of defensive midfielders more adventurously wingers now I was watching Wolves Seville um, the other night and uh, that was the end product derby because Jesus Navas up against Adama Traore this end product debate Charlie it feels like it feels like to the layman it's it's quite a simple dilemma it's like why can't they produce it they're so good at everything else why why can't they just work out how to cross surely it's more complex than that isn't it
2: yeah i mean i remember having a big argument with someone about this with theo walcott and i feel walcott is very much in that end product thing and and the, the implication often with him was almost like it was laziness that if he could have just been asked to learn how to cross, he'd have been like the best <laughs> winger in the world. Which to me felt a bit like saying, well, if David Beckham could just run a bit quicker, yeah, exactly. he would have been the most amazing player ever in the history of the game. Like I, I think, yes, it is something you can work at, but clearly at that sort of level, uh, not everyone is blessed with... You know the technical gifts that some are. Traore is a good example of someone who has worked really hard and and clearly has improved his end product. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I you know it's just it's it's not. Some, you know some people have uh, different skills but, but yeah it has always felt like same with Navas it's always felt like oh as, as if it's just like laziness on his part or you know yeah. he couldn't be asked to develop that cross
0: this idea that um, professional elite footballers either one wouldn't have identified the need to work on it and two aren't yeah. working on it at training because that's their job um, it just seems so odd I mean to me, it's just, that, you know, that's just how they're wired. You know, it's it's a certain skill set. And, and uh, as you said, Beckham is a very good example. He had the op- perceived opposite problem when actually he was quite athletic, athletic and quite quick. Nick, I put it to you that it, it feels like it's a very right-winger dilemma this you've got you've got walcott you've got triore you've got navas it feels like if you're a quick right winger your end product is under more scrutiny than say if you're a left winger because i guess left wingers fall under this kind of fetishized situation where they're already they already have a good end product because they're left footed and left foot left feet are cultured and educated as we already know
1: yeah it's like the aesthetics are good enough doesn't matter if every cross hits the uh, <laughs> hits the first man That it's, it's so kind of gracefully delivered that no one really cares mm. I, just, um, I
0: can't think of a, of, of a left winger who was all pace and, and, you know, direct sort of approach but didn't have any sort of, you know, glaring lack of end product. I just, I just can't think of any off the top of my head. I mean, no, can the, you be
2: left footed and not have good delivery? Is exactly. That, this is, is it. Is that it possible? It seems
0: like a strange, strange sort of imbalance in our perception of wingers the um the end
1: product we we talked about ronaldo earlier on but he has gone he's sort of run mm. the full end product gamut because obviously when he signed yeah. for united there was this perception that all he did was do step overs and couldn't cross the ball and didn't really score many goals in his his first season or two and now he is, that's all he does. He is all end product. All pretty, his entire purpose is to just kind of hang around up front for Juventus and score <laughs> incredibly impressive goals in incredibly uh, you know, pressurised circumstances and
0: he doesn't really do anything else. It takes us to an, an interesting territory. Can you have too much end product? <laughs> Where's his start product? Someone like Pippo and Zaggy
2: wouldn't he fit into that category? Mm. I mean, he was a kind of goal hanger and did yeah. little else, but... Um...
0: Never hear anyone complaining about his beginning product.
2: His start product, I guess that's link-up yeah. play, isn't it?
0: Yes, I suppose it is. And link-up play to me is is just sort of Mark Hughes style, sort of holding off a defender with your back to goal, and then and then sweeping it out to the touchline getting the uh, <laughs> getting a round the of applause that is about one point two times the round of applause you get for heading it back to the keeper. And that was it. <laughs> that's link-up play. They're heading it back to the goalkeeper is
1: still my one of my favourite noises in in the in a football ground. What is it? Twenty eight years since the the uh, back pass rule was yeah. brought in. Uh, it's amazing. always, always, always. A bit. A bit I mean, particularly if the defender has to sort of stoop very slightly to, to head it back yeah, yeah. Mm. that it, it, it's like he's gone well he's really thought about that and he's made the sort of physical effort so that you know fair play well done that's given a little there's still a play. base <laughs> level
0: of appreciation for any header back but yeah. I, my, my only theory for that is that um, the average football fan it, it, um, apparently is you know the average match going football fan is, are in their 40s yeah. so they they remember a time when that was actually genuinely a quite impressive thing to do yeah um, so or an unusual thing to see at least so that can the only theory I can think of. We can't talk about left-wingers without talking about England's perennial left-sided problem, which was really a thing, wasn't it, Charlie? I mean, um, I'm trying Massive to work thing, out what the yeah. time scale of it was. I'm, I'm going 95 to 2002. That's how long England's perennial left-sided yeah, problem lasted. Yeah,
2: I'd say at, pr- probably beyond that, though. I mean, who are you thinking solved it in
0: 2002? Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> It was a weird one because Trevor Sinclair played there, didn't he? In yeah, the World Cup, he, he, and he was deemed to be the kind of short to medium term solution, but wasn't actually left footed. So I guess he wasn't the purest.
2: He was so overrated that tournament. I mean, I remember he came on against right. Argentina, ran around a lot, put a shift in, and was was okay, but mm-hmm. was hailed as the solution, and he absolutely was not. And I remember then, even after that, like Kieran Dyer would play there. Yeah. Uh, it was. I feel it was still after Pesky. that the old just. Yeah, any, David Dunn I seem to remember, popping up. I mean, mm. any midfielder, Danny Murphy, any midfielder literally in that period who couldn't get in the team in a friendly or low-level qualifier would be like, mm, put him on the left wing. Or obviously then you had your guppies, your froggarts who got in by dint of being left footed.
0: Yeah, I mean, Froggart has been kind of brought in under this umbrella of, of the England perennial left-sided problem. He never got a cap.
2: He so, d- he was called up to a squad though wasn't he? Because there's yeah, a, there's so he a was p- almost the rounds. answer. The left side yeah, he was <laughs> so close.
0: Yeah, I'm just think, I'm just thinking Nick of all these poor souls that have had to play out on the left for England. Their like their the dreams of an international... I mean, I mean, uh, skulls sort of falls into that because he still had a good England career on the whole. But um, he's sort of being shunted out to the left wing to accommodate Gerard and Lampard, which is the which is the generally accepted scenario for that, whether it was true or not. And um, I just feel bad for these players who left wing became the kind of black hole for England
1: one of the first sort of you know tedious long-running debates about football I can remember was John Barnes not replicating his Liverpool form for England. oh yes yes yeah. so uh, and and that would have stretched to you know 93 94 so I reckon oh, that the, the the perennial left-sided problem has been perennial for For uh, uh, well, what had been perennial for a very long time before that as well. I,
0: I can't think who the left wingers were under sort of Taylor in the in that documentary. I've got, I've got. Tony Daley of Gary Pallister playing wing back. So <laughs> yeah, we, we clearly have many problems. Um I think actually the perennial left side problem um hit kind of uh, it's extreme peak when the decision was made that Do you know what we can't find any left wingers we're just going to play two full backs. So it was mm-hmm. actually Cole and Wayne Bridge who were considered to be the Wayne dream Bridge, marching, yeah. which actually on paper doesn't sound like a terrible solution to this idea.
2: It was a consequence that you could only play a 442 and there was no other formations that were available. So it, mm-hmm. you know, you could have solved that <laughs> you would have thought by playing, say, a four-three-three and having, you know, an inside forward or something like that. But it, that was the only formation you could play. So it was just you're, you're going to have to play. You may be a central midfielder, but you're going to have to play on the left wing in a flat four.
0: Let's talk about strikers. Nick, uh, we have a linguistic dilemma here uh, to put to you. My attention was drawn this week to a report about AFC Wimbledon's new striker, Ollie Palmer, who is described as the former Crawley Bagsman. <laughs> Please tell me you're not on board with Bagsman. Oh, I'm going to really disappoint you here. I, I I don't mind Bagsman. It seems well, fine. No, it's, it doesn't make any, it. It's not. It doesn't anywhere near evoke the image of scoring goals. It evokes the image of carrying bags. That's but, what Bagsman surely means.
1: But you, but you, you, you can say you know a, a striker bagged a brace. So yes, and, if, and if he he bags and he's a man, then he's a Bagsman okay well
0: in, in my eyes you can only bag a brace so this is this implies that all he does is score <laughs> two goals all the time which isn't a bad yeah that would be a good record uh, I'm assuming that's not his goal scoring record for Crawley uh, but no uh, disappointed in you you're not coming back because bagsman is uh, is absolutely not allowed but Charlie we do have an issue a, a little bit like goalkeepers but it seems a bit more insidious this one is uh, we we have a lack of terms for for strikers despite the despite how much we talk about them. There's Hitman, which I'm kind of all right with, because it implies a level of lethalness and shooting. (laughs) Then there's Frontman, um, and there was a hot debate amongst the editors the other day at The Athletic about whether Frontman was one word or two words. Decide.
2: I instinctively think one.
0: Mm. Like like the front frontman of a band? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But then... Uh, I, I fought the corner for two words because if you make it one word then it becomes frontman well
2: that's I, mean, <laughs> that's I, something I also else. just I had frontman in my head as well so a friend of mine was frontman. described it as a frontman
0: no that's weird that doesn't sound that's not, that doesn't have oh,
2: to no. be wrong I mean that sounds like, a net, like frontman. Steve Frontman <laughs> Jonathan it sounds frontman. like a name
0: of a striker but not exactly. actually aware. yeah I mean, Steve but, but Frontman
2: but haven't you got I mean you've got like forward or centre forward or number nine uh, yeah,
0: goal getter kind of
2: alternatives. How do you feel about goal
0: getter? S- Nick, yeah. did you know? <laughs> I mean, that in Romanian, one of the words they have for striker is golgeter.
1: Does that uh, is the translation of that goal or is it? it what's it's the... it's
0: it's taken directly from goal right? So there's like... one for you. So, so maybe goal has a more universal appeal than i than I thought. But I, I'm I'm happy with goal unless of course they don't get goals. <laughs> um, No matter how hard they try. So perhaps we need a more neutral term. Maybe frontman, frontman is is the way to go, but one word or two. Goal hunter. Goal hunter, that that could be good. Netflix series, that could be good. Yeah, goal Mm -hmm. hunter could be good. Net botherer.
1: That's that's a different vibe, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Charlie, would you agree that only strikers can be journeymen?
2: the journeyman striker. Uh yeah, I mean can you be a journeyman
0: center back? No, Probably I don't not. think No, I, 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 I
2: can't think of ever hearing that.
0: No, because I mean you think of journeymen you just think of strikers who've got sort of guns I think you can hire. be a
2: journeyman midfielder. I can imagine a journeyman midfielder, someone who's just clocked up a ton of clubs um okay. sort of doing a job for a number of years. Yeah,
0: I might accept that. Uh Nick, other other sort of possibilities here for other positions would be well travelled. I quite like that. Or a yeah, medic I
1: think, I th- I think well, well-travelled uh, Is um, probably the kind of I don't know Centre-back equivalent Of uh, the journeyman striker um, mm. Yeah Well-travelled uh, I think you can have A well-travelled goalkeeper as well Just one of those guys Who sort of shuttles Burridge. between You know yeah, Between benches of Premier League clubs And making sort of, 19 appearances For Reading in the Champions Or something <laughs> like that
0: yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I just—I guess none of these terms are exciting enough. Even—even even journeyman sort of has a certain sort of lethargy about it. That there is no, there's no sexy, cool word, exciting word for a striker who's gone to lots of clubs and scored lots of goals. We need—we need to work on that. We need to make our words for players who play for lots of clubs sound cooler. One to work on. Uh, Nick, what do you consider to be a forward's challenge?
1: Um, I mean, it's—it is either when he's. Sort of closing down a centre back, and he kind of goes in uh, hilariously late and takes out the guy's ankle. Or it's when the striker is uh, in air quotes helping out the defence and (laughs) blunders into giving away a penalty. That's that's your forwards
0: challenge. That, remind, um, that reminds me, I think, it's from one of the Danny Baker videos. He kind of summed it up. There was this hilarious clip of some 70s centre-forward coming back and trying to help out and just pushing over Francis Lee or something like that. And Danny Baker just sort of um, voiced over the top, what are you doing here? Go away. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much how you... I think of sort of Drogba giving away a penalty in their in the 2012 European Cup final. And it's just like, wait stop you just don't know how to do it fuck off Um, that
2: Andy Carroll one I was talking about earlier that is a classic forwards challenge like get Uh, out in
0: in my head uh, the the textbook forwards challenge it it kind of combines those two scenarios it's it's a dutiful willingness to help out so it's tracking back and then just absolutely scything down like a fullback like from way behind like nowhere near the ball and um, that, to me, is, is, is a forwards telling sort of unceremoniously bringing a counterattack to an end with, with a horrendous lunge and then sort of holding his hands up and saying, wow well, I don't know any better. Charlie, at what point would you say that uh, a, a striker on a hot goal scoring streak goes from being that man, striker X, to who else but striker X? I love point.
2: this. Yeah, I loved it. I think we talked about this before. Uh, yeah, but air. we haven't um, nailed it. I Haven't nailed
0: the fresh. No, threshold.
2: no. I think I, I think it's hard to think. There's also you know who, uh, which you will hear <laughs> from time to time, and you know oh, Crystal okay. Palace lead, and it's you know who. I mean, oh, right, my, yeah, you... okay. my mind goes to the reason I say Palace. I think Andy Johnson in that 0405 <laughs> season. I think every goal he scored was prefixed with that man or who else but or you know who. That I mean, you, So I, I, I think there's a a degree to which it is how dependent a team is on on that player. Um, You know, so that man, Andy Johnson... This isn't just a simple
0: goals-game ratio situation.
2: No, or I think, like, that man, Glenn Murray. um, I I think, yeah, they have to score a a high proportion... so of a team's goals to really enter that man territory
0: that man definitely comes first because you can it can be a fairly modest goal scoring run before, um, well, to get that man but also you can just simply be, be that man for being someone quite notable or maybe like a youngster who's burst onto the scene so that man definitely comes first and then once you're really into the middle of the hot streak then it's probably who else but and then maybe a sprinkling of um, what was it you know who you know who yeah
1: I very much associate that man with um, with those kind of first couple of seasons that Harry Kane was in the uh, was yeah. scoring goals for Tottenham when there was this kind of vague sense that he he was wasn't actually that good he was just you know he was just having a good a good season good couple of seasons and then you know whenever soccer saturday would cut to Tottenham it would be that man Harry <laughs> Kane
0: <laughs> so like Saturday is the adjudication for this because it's it's just and and which way is it gone? It's it's that man again. It's that man again, Jeff.
1: That man is it can can be often. It, is, it, I do see, also associate with with Jeff Stelling because he will refer to that man as being you know the Rochdale striker that has scored seven in nine or something like that that mm. only he knew, knows about their their <laughs> uh, you know their long run their goal scoring feats. So he can say that man X and everyone will go. Uh,
0: oh yeah, that man. Yeah. Okay. And then once it's been used once, that's it. He he is certified as, as that man. I'm going to end on a mini cliche quiz. We haven't had one for a while, mainly because uh, I forgot to log the results and the spreadsheet just um just <laughs> went to pot. But anyway, we'll we'll bring this back for one hot afternoon only. I will take your first answer, and the first to answer correctly will win this one. Second strikers, what do they do to flick-ons or knockdowns? Latch on. Yeah, like, oh, oh, damn it! Straight yes. in there, Charlie. No hint of rustiness there. You've had what? Yeah, four, well, five I've been practicing. Well,
2: I've been off. Yeah. Wow. But
0: <laughs> Just, I had the idea. That you might. I said again. What, what? could he potentially ask me? In English? <laughs> I've gone through and, everything. Uh, <laughs> um, an, an important point we should end on here is, of course, that you are correct. It's, you latch onto a flick on, or you latch onto a knockdown. But um, uh, what do you pounce on, Nick? Uh, rebound. You can pounce onto a rebound. You pounce onto an error as well. So yeah, yeah, it's it's important to differentiate between pouncing and latching. I've lost about a stone, um, sweating my way through this. I hope you guys have suffered an equal amount. (laughs) Enormously, yes, enormously. Yeah, but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you both. Thanks, Charlie. Welcome back. Happy fatherhood. Thank you very much. Thank you. And welcome, welcome back to you, Nick. Happy sweating.
1: Very much, very much on a par. That fatherhood, and sweating <laughs> profusely.
0: See you next time.